Thanks for joining us. Our host Matt Landis, Las Vegas Chris, and Scott Kellen will be in shortly to preview week two plus Thursday night, and they'll go through their full week two slate rundown this Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern, so make sure to tune in. What is the Ravens' reward after their stunning loss on the Raiders in OT on Monday Night Football? They open their home schedule Sunday against Kansas City Chiefs. Are the defending AFC North champs looking at a 0-2 start? That game will certainly be at the top of the NFL discussion. And speaking of Beltway teams, how will Washington fare Thursday at home against the New York Giants? We'll see what our cappers have to say. This college football season, Gary Seegers, Kyle Hunter, and Parker Fleming will break down the games live every Tuesday and Wednesday on our BetUS College Football YouTube channel. Hey everybody, welcome to the BetUS NFL Show. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by expert football handicappers Las Vegas Chris on your left and Scott Kellen on your right if you're watching us on YouTube. And Chris, let's get right to it. On one hand, it's overreaction weekend the NFL. We're hearing that just about everywhere. And on the other hand, you've led the charge in saying we don't know quite as much as we think we do before the season starts, so we do still need to react at least to some extent. Yeah, it, it, you can't worry about second-guessing yourself or overreacting and, and, and basically outmaneuvering out yourself. Uh, so to speak, because some of the things we've seen are real and will continue. I think uh, one of the teams that a lot of people are giving support to is Arizona, a lot of believers in the Arizona. So uh, there's an example of, uh, 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 you know, where they they believe what they see. So uh, no particular game makes me adjust a team too much. You have to give uh, most teams a pass for the most part. Yeah, Scott, how do you typically handle what's known as overreaction week in the NFL? Yeah, it's kind of like Chris said. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm feeling, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, but uh, there's a couple teams I probably have maybe slightly underrated right now, so I might make a very slight adjustment. But at the same time, you you have to kind of rely on your priors uh, at the beginning of the season as well and have faith in them. And one game is really just against one opponent and really how good or bad that opponent is, and we don't quite know that to a full extent. So I think you got to be a little bit careful. You take some mental notes, get a few more games under your belt. You have a larger sample size to really hone in those ratings and uh, just be careful with what you saw in week one. Yeah, I think that's a good way to set the tone. And today we'll move along reviewing week one in the NFL and previewing week two right here at BetUS where the game begins. And we'd also like to make this a Q&A with you, the audience. So if you're watching us on YouTube, Feel free to jump in that chat, ask us anything. Let's have a good time. And that's the benefit of joining us live here. We can have that interaction in real time as we move on with the show. But before we kick things off, make sure to sign up today at BetUS using the promo code NFL2021 to claim your 125% signup bonus. And for more information on that offer, you can check out the link below this video. And now digging into our week one review, we can start by recapping some bets. And, and we're going to make this not just looking back at grading bets from the past week, but really to try to see what we can apply moving forward. And on that note, Chris, let's kick it off with you because you took the Saints plus the points last week. And that was an absolute home run from the start. 
Yeah, I mean, that was very, very important for me. It was a first full-size bet, and I actually privately bet it for more than I probably should have. But I didn't upgrade the Saints because I think I kind of alluded to it on Friday. Hey, I'm still going to kind of believe in this team until I, I don't have to. And they came, they showed up. Winston had a great time. I have one NFL future, and it's Winston to win MVP. And he's got five touchdowns already. Forget, a, forget that he only had 148 yards, but he, he, won, he can't win, but I took a shot. Uh, but uh, I don't upgrade them because they're what I expected them to be, and Green Bay just gave up at some point. So distorted score there. Yeah, and Scott, speaking of Green Bay giving up at some point, it, it might not be such a week in Wisconsin to go ahead and R-E-L-A-X. Yeah, they may have to W-O-R-R-Y possibly. Uh, and you know, we're gonna, I don't know how much we'll learn this week, and we'll get into this on Friday, I'm sure, when we re- review the games. But playing Detroit, I'm not sure how much will be learned from that. But there are some serious questions on that offensive line that we need to get answers to. Um, and they, they just did not match up to New Orleans' offensive line or defensive line. So more to come on that, and we'll see. But, um, you know, there are some questions with Green Bay that need some answers. Yeah, well, a couple more teams with plenty of questions swirling around them. Chris, your second bet of the week, the Jets-Panthers going over. Unfortunately, that one was uh, a little bit DOA, but we might have learned something about one of the league's new rookie quarterbacks in week one. Yeah, what we learned is how the hell didn't Carolina score more points than the Jets? I mean, uh, there should have been more points scored. So that was very disappointing to not even sniff the total, but it's better than a bad beat, I guess. Um, uh, Disappointed in that play, uh, frankly, and uh, uh, Carolina didn't really impress me. and uh, the Jets are the Jets, but they did play better. They had a lot of good metrics. Yeah, well, you weren't the only one to go down by taking an over because I also had the Eagles-Falcons going over, and my takeaway there was it takes two to tango. The Eagles put 32 <laughs> points on the board, but the Falcons, no touchdowns at home, and, and Chris, to steal your lineup might have been a, perhaps a bit of falling for the banana in the tailpipe with the uh, first game in Arthur Smith's new regime. Atlanta cost me dearly in contests. I, I, I didn't get a chance to even bet him, but I used him in all the contests, uh, minus three, and uh, uh, I was sucking wind on that. Yeah, well, one thing I think we can dig into just a bit more on this game to, again, project moving forward. Jalen Hurts did look really impressive. The accuracy has been a big question with him, and he answered the questions at least pretty resoundingly positively in week one. Scott, what do you make of Jalen Hurts moving forward as far as that performance we saw out of him on Sunday and also considering who that performance came against? Yeah, I think we're going to learn more this week against San Francisco. The the real question here is, uh, was this because they played a crappy Atlanta Falcons defense and so he looked good? Still still good to see him look good, Um, but he's not going to be as good against uh, stiffer competition. The other thing that's in the back of my mind, uh, first of all, again, we know that Atlanta's defense may not be that good. But he only averaged 3.2 yards per air attempt, I think. Uh, and that's not a lot, and that's not a good sign. So we got to see if that changes a little bit as well. Otherwise, this is going to be a dink and dunk, and the good defenses, uh, you know, such as the 49ers, are going to eat that up. So we're going to learn a lot more this week. But those are a couple things that I'm kind of looking at uh, to really try to get a better gauge on him and the team as a whole. Yeah, well, we'll have more to touch on as it pertains to that Eagles Diners Week 2 matchup a bit later in the show. But while we're recapping last week's facts, fortunately, it wasn't a bust across the board on the totals for us because, Scott, 
you had a rocking chair under in <laughs> Buffalo, even though we saw a special teams touchdown. Yeah, well, I wish they were all that way, Matt. But uh, this game played out pretty similar to last year. Uh, you know, I think it's 4.7 to 4.1 yards of play last year, 4.7 to 4.6 this year. I think 25-16 last year, there was an interception return. They missed an extra point on that. So it may have been 19-16 if you remove that. And here this year, what, 23-16, you get a special teams touchdown, ends up 16-16. Played pretty similar. And the interesting thing is last year, I think that total was 48, 48 and a half. Very similar this year. Ended up uh, very close to what it ended up last year for a final point. So um, it was it was very similar, just slightly different special teams touchdowns and, um, and defensive touchdowns. And, you know, each team won one game. Yeah, well, Chris, I know going into this Bill Steelers game, it was interesting to see the market awfully high on Buffalo and, and myself included among the people that were fading the Steelers. So how would you look at the uh, dynamic between those two teams after what we saw in Buffalo on Sunday? I think it's awesome for football because uh, Pittsburgh is going to be in the conversation. And I think that's good for the game uh, that they are not depleted as everybody thought that they might. And uh, a lot of people are down on Josh Allen, but uh, Pittsburgh's got that kind of defense that can do that. Uh, They held him to 55% uh, completions last year too. So uh, you can't overreact to uh, Josh Allen kind of stumbling against a, a tough Pittsburgh just concerned with how many times he ran it like a running back without sliding. I think he ran like 13 times. So uh, a, a bit of concern there, but uh, I was happy to see the result. I ended up betting Pittsburgh late and um, that helped my day. Yeah. And, and speaking of that result, I mean, I, I can be quick to adjust, I think, to entering the season, holding a Pittsburgh regular season win total under eight and a half ticket. Yeah. That special team touchdown might've helped swing the outcome of the game, but that was not a phony cover. And when we see a performance like that, I think it's important as betters to at least be open to changing your minds pretty quickly. So uh, definitely putting a pin in the Steelers week one performance and one more week one performance that we had a bet on last Friday's show. And Scott, that's uh, back to you. It was a pretty tough beat in New England where you had the Patriots. Yeah. And, and I don't know what to think about this game. I mean, from a success standpoint, both teams are around 55, 50, uh, 57% success. Um, the stats would show otherwise from a yards per play standpoint and whatnot. It looked like New England dominated. They they did have two turnovers, including a key turnover, I don't know, five minutes left or whatever it was, six minutes down around the two, three yard line of fumble that Miami recovered. So that hurt. Um, and it was an, you know, I was pretty happy with what I saw from Mac Jones. Um, and but it was an uncharacteristic New England game. I think three 15-yard penalties or so. The turnovers, which you don't normally see. I'm not sure if um, I was on the right side or the wrong side of that because again, I can see different metrics that showed in favor of both teams. So you know, I'd be interested to get you guys' thoughts as we go through the the, the games today. But um, tough beat, you know, knowing that we were about to go in for a touchdown possibly and would have got the cover. I think you were on the right side there, Scott. Uh, the you know the box score lied. If you looked at the box score and went up and down, you'd say for sure New England won the game. So uh, uh, I, I think it was the right handicap, but, uh, you know, sometimes just, you know, stuff happens, so to speak. Yeah, well, I think that uh, gives us plenty to think about moving forward again as we as we not only grade the week one bets, but also figure out what information might be actionable moving forward as it pertains to those wagers. And there were also some games that we didn't bet on, guys, but they still left us with some actionable takeaways. And I think we can start with that season opener, Dallas and Tampa Bay. Uh, the teaser that pretty much the whole betting universe had on the Bucks. 
that either won, lost, or pushed, depending on the number you got with Tampa and when you bet that game. So, Chris, I think one of the takeaways, again, the value of shopping for the best of the number. You got to shop like those women. You <laughs> have to shop, shop, shop your lines. It makes all the difference in the world. There was two games this weekend that it mattered uh, with Carolina and the Jets and uh, the Tampa Bay game. Uh, so, uh, you know, the funny thing about the teaser I placed, I had Tampa Bay, San Francisco, and that big giant comeback by the Lions. I was actually rooting for my teaser to win in overtime. I wanted to see it go overtime and sweat it out and have them kick a field goal. So. Yeah, that was a fun one. Well, let's go there for a moment because that game between the Niners and Lions, again, that seemed like it was over uh, without, you know, a lot of time left on the clock and suddenly the score tightened up quite a bit. So, Chris, as the resident Lions fan, you mentioned rooting for it to go to overtime, but but at what point did you even start to take that possibility seriously? Because it looked like a done deal for a while. Uh, Well, it it pretty much happened because I had marked that as a winner and (laughs) anybody that understands Uh, gambling uh, superstition. I was actually responsible for that comeback for the Lions. And I had typed in that I had to send uh, the results someplace. And uh, I'm watching, I'm watching. And so I deleted it. And sure enough, they stopped. So it was over. So it was me completely on that game. Yeah, that was a wild one. I mean, 41-17 at the two-minute warning, and then you look up uh, less than two minutes of game time later, and the Lions are driving to potentially tie the game. It never felt too precarious for San Francisco, but just to have to sweat it at all after a 24-point lead with two minutes to go, that was pretty wild. I will note the Niners won uh, the yards per play battle by almost three full yards despite those endgame shenanigans. So uh, still, a I think, a pretty thorough dominance for the 49ers. And uh, Chris, one of the key points for Detroit that we were looking at, their first-round pick, Penny Sewell, what do you make of his NFL debut? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Amazing, because Sewell was practicing for all, all of preseason on the right, as a right tackle. And Decker went out for the Lions at, at left tackle. They had to move Sewell there on an emergency basis. And who does he have to face? Bosa. And how did he do? He rated the number he rated number two in the league in one metric and number five overall for offensive linemen for the whole whole week. So awesome, awesome. Uh, Lions fans are excited about that. Yeah, yeah I'll, nice I'll just I'll, uh, sorry, Matt. I'll just make a point on that. I think Bosa told him after the game that he and he had noticed that on film that Sewell looked much more comfortable on the left side and, and really felt that he's going to do better on the left side than the right side. I mean, we'll, we'll see what the Lions do with that. But I thought it was an interesting comment from uh, a, a pretty good player. Yeah, and I was just going to say it's nice even to go down a defeat like that to have something to look forward to for possibly a long time in the future of Detroit. Sewell anchoring that line. And while he looked good, uh, Scott, I think you also have some numbers to reinforce the fact that that game wasn't as close as the scoreboard indicated. Yeah, if you look at the halftime stats, just looking here, uh, the 49ers were averaging 9.3 yards of play to 4.2 for Detroit. And so when I saw that, first thing, I, they had like a 70, 80-yard touchdown pass. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if that was factored into that, uh, which sometimes can skew the numbers a little bit. Well, no, that came in the third quarter. So that was without that long pass. So, yeah, they were truly dominating this game. And then, you know, things happen, right? And uh, you get some boneheaded plays. And next thing you know, Lions got a shot. Chris is, is, is a, you know, a glutton for punishment. He's, he's praying for overtime so he can win his teaser bet, uh, you know, <laughs> but whatever, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a weird ending for sure. The, 
the real bad thing though is the Lions lose uh, Akuda, their uh, number one draft pick from uh, last year, uh, cornerback uh, for the for the season with an Achilles. So bad yep. news. Yeah, well, one game that didn't have quite a circus act of an ending, and, and I'll take it, a smooth ride for the Arizona Cardinals in Tennessee. That was smooth sailing for my bet, both on the side and money line. Uh, I mean, the handicap couldn't have come through much better. If only they were all that easy. But, Chris, I know you were quite impressed with the Cardinals quarterback. Uh, yeah, I think I mentioned it in the AFC West preview that I had seen somebody on Twitter commenting how they'd like to bet against Murray winning MVP. <laughs> Matt. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I guess he did okay, uh, considering Colin Coward was out there saying um, Murray looks like he's an MVP with his five touchdowns. You know, people forget he was injured most of last season and how really dangerous he, he is. And boy, did I hate betting against him uh, when he's healthy. You, you just ne- He's never out of it, it seems. Yeah, I mean, he's such a dynamic playmaker. And, of course, part of the uh, look against him at MVP was just the size and the way he plays over the course of a full season could get dicey. But in that matchup, in week one at full strength, he was electric. And, honestly, I'll just go ahead and and let everybody know I didn't place that bet primarily because I didn't want to let a 15-to-1 bet sit for five months. That's a lot of money to tie up. If I could have gotten that graded immediately, I probably would have placed it. So, uh Perhaps this is the most grateful I'll be in my betting lifetime that some of these futures wagers do indeed tie up your bankroll for a while because sometimes that just nudges you to stay off. So I'll sit back and enjoy watching Kyler Murray this season and hope for the best there. And Scott, on the other side of the ball, we also got some pretty encouraging signs from that Cardinals pass rush. Yeah, we, we kind of talked about that last week with J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones coming back uh, and, and company that it would be interesting to see if they could get a pass rush. And they, they got a great pass rush on Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill. So we're going to see if they can duplicate it again this week. I, I know we'll talk more about, about, about it on Friday, but it'll be interesting to see what they can do uh, against the Vikings as well. And uh, that's something I'm very much intrigued by because that can make this team a whole lot better very quickly if they can continue to get a pass rush and kind of help protect their secondary a little bit as well. Yeah, one more note I'll share on this game. Of course, we've talked about the side, but the total was a rough beat, maybe the bad beat of the week for overbetters. The total closed at 54, and there were 51 points on the board with more than three minutes to go, still in the third quarter. And that was all for the scoring. I think one of the keys here that I'll consider moving forward as far as Titans games go, Mike Vrabel and fourth down decisions, still a problem. In the playoffs, we thought he might have learned his lesson after punting on fourth and two from the Baltimore 40. That ultimately contributed to a Titans loss and ending their season last year. But here we are again, week one, fourth and one at the Arizona 28, and Vrabel opted to attempt a 46-yard field goal with his backup kicker. That missed, and again, as a Cardinals backer, I was happy to see it. Even if they made the field goal, I would have been just fine without having to worry about the touchdown. Of course, if Vrabel goes for it there, they likely convert and at least are looking at an easier field goal, or perhaps they do get the touchdown. And that could have been the difference between the over pushing or even winning if Tennessee found the end zone on that drive, even if we factor in that there were no points scored in the last 18 minutes of that game. So I think that about ties things up for the Cardinals-Titans game in Nashville on Sunday. But another one on the, uh, let's go a little farther to the East Coast, the Cardinals, or excuse me, the Chargers at Washington. Chris, we saw one of the weird plays of the day involving one of the weirder rules in sports, and it, it kind of cost Justin Herbert there for a moment. Yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, I had no horse in that race. I wasn't biased in the least, but uh, Hebert goes down, you know, throws the ball into the end zone, and the ball was touched 
you know, somewhere, you know, beforehand, but the ball had a nice trajectory and just missed the receiver, rolls out of the end zone and they call it a, a, a you know, a turnover touchback. One of the worst things I've ever seen. It's just, just, just ridiculous. Yeah, all I've got to say, and I, I, as the Chargers fan, I know I might be a little biased here, but I've kind of held for a while that that might be the dumbest rule in sports, aside from it being a pretty clear incomplete pass in that case, even if it were a fumble going through the end zone. I'm just surprised that rule is still in place because we saw a very high profile example last year in that Browns Chiefs playoff game of a fumble going out through the end zone. And the NFL seems very open to changing rules when the opportunity presents itself and there's a good case to be made for making a change. I can't believe this rule still hasn't been fixed. I feel like it's a matter of time. Uh, I'm sick and tired of waiting for it to change. But in the meantime, I'm also glad that the Chargers could overcome that and win in spite of something like that. It might be a new era for them. And Chris, this uh, might have been one of the first dominoes to fall as far as your Hindenburg angle on Washington. The, the Hindenburg uh, might be uh, get, catching a little bit of a flame. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. If, if Washington does not win Thursday, whoa. It's going to be a rough season. Yeah, well, no, no major moves, I think, in order for Washington quite yet. But we do have a few teams on the move. And, and this could be our segment looking at a few teams getting an upgrade or a downgrade after week one. And, and Chris, I know that you don't want to get, you know, too carried away with it, but there are some teams that you're giving um, a slight upgrade as well as a slight downgrade. So let's start with the teams that are on the move up in your book. Yeah, again, very slight upticks. You know, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, I had kind of mentally downgraded them. I can believe in them a little bit more. Arizona, I believe in a little bit more. Philadelphia really surprised me. I've got to really pay attention to them. I, I respect, the, you know, how well they played. Uh, and... Uh, Houston, all the veterans, all the old timers. I was going to tweet out something about Cocoon. You know, you know the old timers know what's going on. We all disrespected the fact that it's a veteran organization. Should have played them. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of talk about the Jags being favored by three on the road after going one and fifteen, and and I guess we got our answer with that outcome. I will underscore your uptick for Pittsburgh, and I'll also add New Orleans to the mix for pretty obvious reasons after that game played out. And Scott, I know you've got some teams on the rise as well. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh up as well. I agree. Um, Saints, you know, it's it, it's hard for me on that one. That's a team that I don't feel I have priced appropriately right now. Uh, and Miami falls in that same boat as well. Uh, I've got Miami probably lower than they need to be. So just because of that, I'm, I'm moving them up slightly. Um, and, you know, after a couple more games, we'll see how far off I am on them. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm moving them up a little bit as well. More so, again, just because I think I had them priced incorrectly to start with. Yeah, well, we'll be learning a lot. So plenty of adjustments to come throughout the season. And Chris, when it comes to the flip side of this coin, a few teams getting slight down ticks in your book. Uh, just a little tiny uh, uh, um, downswing on Buffalo, but they could bounce back and recover. Tennessee really looks like they have some problems adjusting to the new offensive coordinator. Uh, uh, but you would think that they're going to fix that problem. And uh, Atlanta was the biggest surprise. I already mentioned that. What a disaster for me. And Green Bay, I, I got to keep my eye open on them. I, I, what really is the worst thing about that is they quit. And uh, uh, it, the, the, the Rodgers uh, strut wasn't there, and he heaved a, a couple of passes. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, well, Scott, it seems like we've got some consensus with you on a few of these down ticks. Uh, but at the same time, 
no change on Buffalo for you. Yeah, and by the way, on Green Bay, Chris, I don't know if they ever started, quite frankly. Um, I, I'm just not sure. You know, they almost didn't show up from, from the get-go. But, uh, yeah, Echo Atlanta. On Buffalo, I'm leaving them alone because, uh, as I said in the in kind of review of the game earlier, this game kind of played out similar to last year, um, and the score was kind of similar, taking away a, an interception return for a touchdown on special teams. I mean, uh, they were, and they both averaged roughly about the same yards per play. Uh, Pittsburgh did a little bit better this year than last year, so – uh, you know, uh, this is kind of what I expected out of that game. So no change for me in Buffalo yet. You expected them to lose outright? Uh, not to lose outright, but I, again, 4.7 yards of play last year and this year. Uh, so they did nothing different from an offensive standpoint in that regard. They allowed Pittsburgh a little bit more, 4.6 yards of play this year versus 4.1 last year. But, you know, again, if you take away that, that interception return last year, that's a 19-16 uh, Buffalo victory. You take away the special teams touchdown, and I know it's not that simple, but then it's a 16-16 game this year. So I don't think it deviated that much from last year after one week for me to make any adjustments on it. Yeah, I mean, I had them rated very high, and I I think I mentioned that they could have some real problems this year. But when I look at their schedule, they really should go over. Now I question whether they're going to go over. That's basically what I mean by a, a slight tick. I, I do think they're, you know, they may be a little too one-dimensional, which might come back to haunt them a little bit this year. Um, you know, well, that remains to be seen, but uh, that one, that could be one thing that flies in their face a little bit and causes some disruption versus what they did last year. Yeah, I think suddenly a lot of intrigue for Buffalo after it was pretty much all optimism throughout the offseason. And I think you guys have covered this well. One thing I'll add a little bit of context to with the downgrades would pertain to the Falcons. Again, I'm maybe jaded because if they would have shown up at all offensively, that game probably flies over with the Eagles putting up 32. No touchdowns at home against that Eagles defense was a tough pill to swallow. And the Falcons getting outgained by almost two and a half yards per play. In fact, their final 10 drives combined, they barely outgained each of their first two drives. So going to be looking for more out of Arthur Smith as he finds his sea legs with the Falcons. I think that just about does it for our risers and fallers after week one. And at this point, let's move on to week two and get an early look at the board. And one of the first games I think we can start with guys would be the Saints and the Panthers. We saw that Saints line, you know, just really take on a lot of steam and and rightfully so if you consider their performance on Sunday. Chris, how do you think this one ends up settling? Well, we now have a COVID situation where I believe we have six assistant coaches and two players that have tested positive. And boy, we don't know how that's going to map out. So we saw the line jump up to three and a half yesterday and it went up to four this morning and now it's dropped back down. So I think it's probably going to hover in that three and a half range until more news comes out because People want to bet the the Saints, believe it or not, uh, but it but it's going to it's going to get two way action. There's people that like Carolina also uh, that that are using that excuse. Don't believe what you just saw and don't overreact. Uh, uh, so it's going to get two way action. It's going to be somewhere in that uh, three and a half four range though, uh, without any more COVID bad news. Yeah, I definitely think that's something to watch out for. And and Scott, I see a note here about you uh, maybe rethinking your Saints rating a little bit after what we saw in week one. Yeah, I might have them a little bit low. So I'm thinking about that. Um, 
you know, and I, I priced this game at about a half point. So again, if I've got the Saints a little bit low, that makes sense. But also looking at like the season over under win numbers, which you can kind of generate a power rating for each team, uh, that would also price this game at about a half point, assuming you make no adjustments to what we saw in week one. So, uh, but I think I've got the Saints a little bit low. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. We'll see over the next couple of weeks, but those are my thoughts on the Saints right now. Yeah, and I can see we do have a question from the chat that we'll get to in a bit. I think we can uh, circle around to it at the end. So stay tuned, Birdie. Thank you for the question. But guys, one of the more interesting games, perhaps the most interesting game we can look at on the week two board uh, in today's show would be Buffalo at Miami. Chris, I know you were a little bit perplexed when you saw where the line opened and even to a degree where it sits right now. Well, where do you guys think this line belongs? Well, uh, it's a, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to give you a waffle answer here, Chris. It's probably not going to help you, so I'll apologize in advance. But, you know, Miami, as I said earlier, is the other team that I've got probably rated too low. So I'm showing some value on Buffalo in that regard. Uh, but also looking at the, you know, the season over under win totals and deriving a line from that, again, without making any adjustments from week one, uh, would make Buffalo about a 1.9 point favorite. So, um, you know, I, 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 could, I could make a case for both sides. Uh, but it's hard for me to give you uh, a great answer on that just because I don't know that my lines are prop or numbers are properly forecasted for Miami right now. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Here's uh, some of the things that I do when I'm very, very line conscious. I really shop lines and every half point is ridiculously important to me. So it's like watching grass grow all, all week, but I watch lines very carefully and I try to figure out the logic behind them. So let's take a look at this situation. We just came from Buffalo and Buffalo at home was favored by six, six and a half to Pittsburgh. And when you were talking about Buffalo, Matt, you said that Buffalo might have been a little overrated or a little overpriced, right? It's, so it's possible after that performance. Yeah. You got to think. Okay, it's so you, you have a six, six and a half there. And that's over Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Now, Pittsburgh beats them, and it wasn't close. I mean, it was semi-close, but it was a, it was a deserved win. Mm -hmm. And then on the, they're going to go down to Miami. I'm going to repeat myself with the Saints from last week with Green Bay. They're going down to the heat and humidity in Miami. Miami Granted, they didn't win the box scores against New England, but boy, they played tough. They played a good game, and they came away with the win. Let's not forget something that's really important. Miami had a win total of nine and a half. Pittsburgh, uh, eight and a half. So how do you send Buffalo down to Miami in not the best of conditions, and you're only going to and and don't forget both of these teams played tough games so they they're, they're you know it's an equal letdown type factor how does buffalo only be, lose two and a half points off a loss facing a better team than pittsburgh so that's why the three and a half doesn't make sense to me yeah i think the logic is pretty sound there and i'm by no means in a rush to back the bills at this price, but to play devil's advocate a bit and try to think from the perspective of some of the market that hasn't brought this line down. Uh, looking at Tua, again, it seems like everybody kind of sees whatever they want to see with him, and I'm not ready to judge him, you know, for the rest of his career in any particular light. 
but his QBR came in under 40. And I know QBR is not the perfect stat, but directionally that means something. Coming in under 40 is a bit of an indictment. And the Dolphins had a continuation of some turnover and red zone luck that we saw from them last year. And we saw the opposite from Buffalo, where they were the team that allowed the special teams touchdown. They themselves only went one for four in the red zone. So I, I guess I just see that as a possible couple of factors that are keeping this number where it is, even though you've laid out some pretty sound logic. Yeah, and, and, th- and this is really important. That half point makes all the difference in the world. And you're just losing value with this Buffalo right now because everybody's going to be like, oh, there's no way Buffalo goes 0-2. Miami already has a win under their belt, and they aren't that good. Uh, they'll lay down for Buffalo. Will they? Yeah, oh, they're not going to lay. They're, yeah, they're, they're not laying down. It's a divisional game, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Now, you know, people can make the – Hey, they're going to be more focused. They lost. They need this game, you know, which I don't really believe in any of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but you, you'll probably hear that out there. But there's no way Miami's laying down against the team who's supposed to win that division. No way they're laying down. Yeah, well, I think we can dive into this game even further on the Friday show, but we've given it uh, a lot to think about for now. And another game that we'll probably circle back on in good detail on Friday with a pick uh, for now we can touch on. The 49ers staying back east, visiting the Philadelphia Eagles. And as far as that total goes, I bet the over 48 when it opened, but I can't recommend that anymore. At the current number of 50, I would say that's uh, just a lean at this point. I mean, we've got two offenses, certainly with the potential to be dynamic, and both defenses looking a bit beatable, especially after the Niners suffered a tough loss, losing Jason Verrett for this season. As far as the side goes, though, Chris, I'm interested to hear what you think. I know you're a little intrigued by the number we're looking at here with the Niners currently laying three and a half. Yeah, my initial gut reaction was to be all over uh, San Francisco like a bad rash. But, you know, it's tough to lay that three and a half. And you you just simply don't lay a three and a half unless you really have to lay a three and a half. Uh, Because, you know, what's what's your worst case scenario? You got to lay four. you know, so you don't win if it lands on four. It's, there's a big difference between losing the half a point the other way, where if you miss the half a point, now you lose. So you, you have a little bit of cushion there. But my my initial reaction was that San Francisco should roll, ignore the end of the Lions game. Uh, Philadelphia's a pretender. But when you're looking at Philadelphia's metrics and, and how well they really did play, uh, you kind of got to perk your eyes up a little bit and say, wait a minute. And uh, um, I know San Francisco has some uh, an injury concern that I wanted to find out more information on. Uh, but I, I, I think that line's going to kind of just hover there and it's leaning toward the three. So I have no rush to, to make a bet on it. Yeah, and I, I might have jumped the gun. I, I went ahead and uh, I, I have the Niners. I know it's three and a half. If it does stick down to three, I'm happy to add on. I get the sense that if this game were kicking off now, you'd probably be inclined to back them, Chris. But to your point, with that asymmetric risk around the three and a half, there's no problem. Again, the mantra, hurry up and wait. We've still got a few days to see where this shakes out. And again, we can save more of the detail for Friday, but I will just quickly note that that misleading final in Detroit might have brought the Niners down a bit too far in the eyes of some. I like that they're staying at the Greenbrier in West Virginia this week. They've proven that they know how to maximize the back end of those back-to-back East Coast road games. And to your point, Chris, we need to give the Eagles plenty of credit. They did show up and play well in week one. At the same time, this could be quite a step up in class for them. So really curious to see how things shake out in Philadelphia come Sunday. And guys, one more game we can take a look at on the week two slate, if we can pull that graphic up again. And this is an interesting one with the Chiefs taking on the Ravens. 
Right now, the line sitting at Chiefs minus four. Uh, that was initially available at some spots for minus two and a half. Of course, that's long gone after what we saw in last night's game between the Ravens and the Raiders. So, Scott, what do you make of the number currently where it sits Chiefs minus the four? Yeah, I made it four, so it's kind of come up to where I had it. Uh, the only other note I'll have here, I was on Baltimore last year. They played it on Monday night. I think Kansas City won that by 14 rather easily, quite frankly. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of amazes me that Baltimore, obviously they, everything they do is about blitzing. Uh, and the fact that they continue to try to blitz Patrick Mahomes because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he eats blitzes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, he is just terrific at that. Um, and if they continue to do that, I don't know if they can beat um, Kansas City by doing that. I, th- I really think they need to uh, deploy a little bit different strategy there. But uh, but the number right now for me is sitting where I think it should be. The blitzing is what got him in trouble last night against the Raiders. I, I don't know what the hell they were doing, but uh, apparently they were telegraphing what they were doing and the offense had an advantage with that. And they're blitzing on, you know, uh, odd situations. Something's goofy with this Baltimore team. I, I A lot of people say the exact same thing. It's not that they're bad. It's, right. boy, they didn't play smart. There's something different uh, about it that you got to sit back and, you know, take a look at. Yeah, well, once again, we'll do a deep dive on the full weekend slate on our Friday show. But for now, Chris, I wanted to see if you had any final thoughts on any other games we haven't discussed yet that you see possibly moving over the next few days. Uh, you know what? If, if, if people are, are looking to place wagers uh, quickly, I think the New Orleans game is going to stay where it is. I think Cleveland 12 and a half will go up, if anything. Uh, Chicago 3 is the highest you're going to see it, I think. It's only going to go down, if anything. Uh, there's more support for Cincinnati. I think the Pittsburgh line is stable. Buffalo may go up, uh, but there is sharp support for Miami in some circles. The Rams is going to be very interesting. There's support both ways. The public's going to support the Rams big time, uh, but I've already heard some sharps on Indianapolis. Uh, San Francisco, my best guess, maybe it goes down a little bit, down to that three. Uh, Denver's stable. New England's going to go up from the five and a half. Uh, it should hit six, maybe six and a half. Uh, Arizona's going to go down. Tennessee's going to get some support. Uh, and uh, the Chargers, Dallas, boy, that you know that's supposed to be three. It's not going to move. Uh, Kansas City, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. That might actually go up. Uh, and Green Bay, if you're interested in that, uh, it's at ten and a half. I think that's the lowest line you're going to see. It's not going to go to ten. It's going to go higher. Yeah, I love that rapid fire summary of what we can expect over the coming days. And Scott, one more thing while we're looking at week two lines. Uh, one factor that, of course, comes into play, unfortunately, but inevitably every season after week one, some injuries that took place that could have an impact on some of these lines moving forward. Yeah, just go, I'll just quickly rattle off someone that either they're out for the year or projected to miss um, a, a few games here. So we've got with Tampa Bay, cornerback uh, Sean Murphy bunting. Dallas wide receiver uh, Michael Gallup and Leo Collins, the right tackle, is suspended. They will get Zach Martin back at left guard, which is huge for them. The Jets lose their left tackle, uh, Mekki Becton. That's a huge loss for them. Uh, and also at least a little bit less of a loss, safety LaMarcus Joyner um, as well. Um, and for Detroit, uh, Chris already mentioned it. Okuda, the cornerback, uh, is out. San Francisco, you mentioned it. Jason Verrett, the cornerback, is out. That That's a pretty big one. Uh, center uh, for Seattle looks like he's going to be out. That might be a little bit underrated. Uh, could impact them. 
Brian Bulaga, right tackle for the Chargers, uh, went out. There's a chance he doesn't play. And that guy seems to be hurt a lot lately. Uh, and we know Fitzpatrick is out. Maybe a two-point adjustment with Heineke, but Heineke with his mobility uh, might actually, you know, help uh, help them in some ways. And maybe it's not that big of an adjustment. I see Chris shaking his head, probably disagrees with that. So, you know, that's we'll find that out. Uh, Cleveland left tackle Jedrick Wills out. That's rather significant, uh, although they have a pretty good offensive line as a whole. New England right tackle Trent Brown. Uh, the Saints, Marshawn Lattimore, hurt his thumb. and He might have to have surgery. He may miss a few weeks. That he had be, surgery uh, this morning. Yeah, that could be a little significant. Now, they do get Bradley Roby, who was suspended last week that they uh, traded for uh, before last week, so he, he can at least fill in there a little bit. Uh, Jerry Judy out for the, the Broncos. And then last one here, Chicago left tackle Jason Peters. Uh, you know, that guy's getting pretty old, and he, he may be missing a few weeks as well. Those are all ones that I'll be just looking at uh, and checking the Friday injury report to see if there's anything different from what we know right now. Yeah, more to come on Friday with any developments there and more to come in a moment on the Washington quarterback situation that you touched on, Scott. But before we break down the Thursday night game, let's call a quick timeout and get into our Q&A from the live chat. We have a couple questions today from Birdie. And the first one I'll talk to you guys, interested to know between the Titans, Mini, and Colts. So between Tennessee, Minnesota, Indianapolis, which of these teams are getting the most disrespect in this week's lines? Any initial thoughts there from either of you? Well, they're they're all about the same, but I think Minnesota's uh, and I think Minnesota and uh, Tennessee are going to get the most support. I think the Colts uh, that line is going to stay pretty close to where it is, where Tennessee and. Uh, uh, Minnesota can, might get some more more play than uh, the Colts do. Yeah, and I would say um, the Minnesota disrespect might almost be just higher upside potential with for Arizona. You know, after they uh, performed very well, looked very good. So, yeah. um, you know, the Tennessee one might be the one that's getting the. It's hard to say disrespect because who knows what we're getting with Tennessee this year. But but you know, to, to that point, they, they in my mind they might be the ones getting most disrespected out of those three yeah you've got two-way action on that where you got one team heading up one team heading down so uh, that's probably a, a, one of these games of uh, that fits the overreaction category yeah well chris your initial answer to the question i think leads us well into birdie's second question so i'll toss it back to you with this one why hasn't that rams line moved yet your answer to my question will help a lot so i think we we see where <laughs> birdie's looking with that rams colts game but yeah why don't you think that one's moved quite yet I, I think uh, there there is a group of people that are willing to take Indianapolis this week. That's sharp, uh, and um, you know the Rams are taking it on the road. Uh, they, 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 the Chicago was not impressive. I mean, it, it was really a joke. Uh, you know, talking about a no show uh, after that first drive and that first interception. What what, what happened? And then even as poorly as they played, they actually had a chance to get back into the game later on. So, you know, Stafford can throw his pop-ups to, to wide-open receivers. It wasn't that impressive. The one thing that bodes well in their favor, though, is I was watching Cowherd and the gentleman was talking about they didn't even hit. They didn't even have to hit the playbook last uh, on Sunday night. The Rams, you know, played completely vanilla for the whole game and still crushed them. So. Uh, that's the scary prospect with that. But uh, Indianapolis has a way to disrupt certain teams. 
uh, Seattle did well last week because of mobile quarterback and, and the matchups uh, weren't very good. This is a different situation. And uh, the Rams weren't able to run the ball last week. Uh, so they've got a running problem, and that's going to uh, that's going to change the dynamics of the Rams' offense. Got it. Well, one more question from the chat. This one coming from Patrick. Chris, I think this is well-suited for you, but Scott, jump in if you do have any thoughts, uh, and that would be early thoughts on which teams this week will be the consensus contest picks. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I haven't even given it a moment of thought, and I don't want to waste the time now. <laughs> Ask it in comments, and I'll answer. Cool. Yeah, or, you know, it, on, on Friday, obviously, we'll have a better idea on that, too. Um, yeah. Uh, certainly, we can we can pick that up Friday, too. Yeah, that's a better day to answer. Yeah, so, Patrick, feel free to, to come back to us uh, on Friday or drop a note in the comments here, and, uh, and Chris will check it out when the right time comes. I think, again, tying with the mantra of hurry up and wait with contest picks, still not due for a good few days now. Uh, we could be a little ways away from having a ton of clarity when it comes to uh, some of the marquee contests who it seems like the consensus players are going to be on. Uh, all right, so that's a, a few questions. Thank you to Bertie for your questions, as well as Patrick. I think we've got one more on the way, so I'll give us a quick beat here before we go ahead and preview that Thursday nighter between Washington and the Giants. Uh, you know what, let's, uh, let's give this a sec. All right. I think we're going to move on. Let's break down the Thursday nighter. And if this question comes through in, in our separate chat that I am able to see here, we'll get to it. The Thursday night game this week, not the same as the season opener in terms of the marquee teams, but it could be a pretty interesting one. Nonetheless, the Giants traveling to Washington, currently the spread favoring the, the Washington football team at a juicy three, minus 115, total a low 41. And Scott, when we've got a total this low, those points might loom large. Yeah, they, they they very much could loom large. And, you know, Washington, I, I played Washington in a teaser last week. I, I was getting plus one and a half, so I teased it up to seven and a half. And I was thinking after the fact, when that line went to two the other way, I could have played the charges on a teaser up to eight uh, because that was going to be a very close game. You know, Washington's good enough team. They're not going to get blown out in most situations. And um, and also, I don't think they're going to blow anybody out. Um, so and, and then so for Washington, they're just that type of team when they start laying points. You got to be very careful. So I lean to the Giants in this game. It's very hard for me to actually play the Giants at three and a half. There's obviously a little bit more value there uh, versus the three, even though it's juiced a little bit. Giants win last year, both games, 20 to 19. I think that one was in New York and then 23-20 in Washington. Washington's got a better defensive line than the Giants. They've got a better offensive line. So I started looking at this. Well, why would my numbers favor um, the Giants a little bit? And I started looking... It's hard to say, but the Giants have better skill position players, I think, than Washington, and maybe even a little bit better secondary potentially, and that's enough to offset that and bring a little bit value back to the Giants. So um, if I'm playing anything, it would be the Giants. I don't think this line has really is going to go down to two and a half, but if it did, I'd maybe think about teasing it up. Uh, but I'd lean Giants, but I, I don't think I'll be playing Giants. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and, and pass on this one as well. But my lean would be on the side of the total. I, I would like to go under, but this, you know, the number at 42 and half the best of the numbers already gone, and we're already looking at an awfully low number. There's one thing I'm going to be looking for on each side of the ball for each team that I'm interested to learn out of this game. And starting with Washington on offense, I had a bet on them in the first half last week, and it it was already in jeopardy. And then when they lost Fitzpatrick before halftime, that, that kind of did things in. With Fitzpatrick on IR, 
I'm, I'm interested in what Heineke looks like as the starter this week. And I know we touched on it briefly earlier, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing two, two and a half points from some people. And at the same time, Scott, he might bring some upside to the offense that they wouldn't necessarily have with Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean, I and I I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't think he got sacked last week uh, while Fitzpatrick was taking a pounding back there. Some of that, obviously, they're just not blocking well and, and whatnot, uh, but some of that's just a lack of mobility as well. So Heineke has the ability to get out a little bit, also pick up some rushing yards with his legs. So he does bring a different dimension to the off uh, to the offense. Obviously, the experience is not there of a Fitzpatrick. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you're facing a really good defense, just having that mobility and escape ability, if you will, uh, can keep drives alive and, you know, might serve to help them a little bit, especially against a team like the Giants, which is not, you know, a, a top elite team that maybe confuses him a little bit more. And then, you know, you just think back. I mean, he played OK against the the Bucks last year. Now, maybe maybe a little bit unknown for Tampa that, you know, caused some of that. But um, the guy's shown some potential to possibly be OK for him short term, at least maybe not long term. Yeah, I was surprised uh, uh, during that game, uh, and I forget what the sources were, but I respected the sources, uh, that they weren't making any adjustment. Uh, They wouldn't be making an adjustment uh, going forward uh, for the difference in quarterback. They they say, you know, he's not that bad. He's serviceable, and uh, he's not mistake-prone. And uh, like you said, he's got some mobility. And... uh, uh, I don't think that uh, this is a typical uh, heavy drop-off uh, that uh, uh, like they saw last year with Washington. Yeah, and while we're talking about the Washington offense, another question just came in through the chat. Uh, I think I know the answer here, but I want to make sure I'm not missing something because the question asks, will Taylor Heineke deliver for Washington with Fitzpatrick out, or could Ron Rivera renew acquaintances with Cam Newton? I haven't heard anything about that. I think Heineke has been more than serviceable as a backup, so... I would be pretty surprised if, if anything got in the way of Heineke starting, especially with this game being on Thursday with a short week. But am I missing anything, you guys? Or are you also thinking it's going to be Heineke all the way? Well, I don't I don't think it's Cam Newton for this week. It's way too short a time for that. There was some talk about that. I think Rivera even made a comment, you know, they'll, they'll look at it. You know, the door is always open, but nothing's really changing. And then I saw another comment that there's quite a few coaches on that Washington staff that I think were with Carolina and I don't I didn't know what to take with the comment other than maybe those coaches don't like Newton or Newton didn't like those coaches. So, you know, there's some dynamics there that could happen, too. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it's it's a it's a good headliner because there's a connection there. But uh, right now, I don't think it's anything more than that. Got it. Makes sense. Well, on the other side of the ball with Washington, something else I'm going to be looking out for is how they rebound after the Chargers in week one converted on 74 percent of their third downs. Uh, They went 14 for 19. And for a team with that many third down attempts, the Chargers posted the highest third down conversion rate in the NFL since 1991. I think that can be a pretty noisy number. I mean, Chris, you touched on it a lot before the season. The Washington defense might be in for some negative regression, but I'd be surprised if it were that much. Well, we've said it. I've said it over and over again. I don't understand why everybody says this defense is so good. They gave up 424 yards, like you said, 14 for 19 on third down. Um, it, they, they haven't shown anything. They really haven't. I think the defense is very overrated. And uh, uh, you just can't think that they're going to stop teams like we've been, you know, forced down our throat thinking that they're as good as they are they're decent don't get me wrong they're just not uh, they're not going to be top 10 this year and uh, they're not going to sniff top 10 
uh, they'll be lucky to sniff top 15, in my opinion. But it, it, it should be interesting because the Giants actually had a, had a chance going, and Daniel Jones ran it up the gut for 13, 10 yards and just fumbles it again. And we talked about it during the previews. If he can just stop making the mistakes, the Giants are going to have a chance. They've got skill position players, as Scott mentioned, everywhere. So, but he made the mistake, and that made a that made a difference in that game where you know they had, would have had some nice momentum. But uh, if if he if he stops the mistakes and they can get a little bit more rushing out of Barkley this week, uh, they only got they only had sixty yards rushing last week, so that's a concern. And and I I think he himself said he he couldn't get up to speed. He couldn't get that extra afterburner going. So uh, that's another bit of concern. Uh, so as, as far as this game goes, I, I I would probably lean toward, if it's three and a half, I'd probably take, uh, if I'm going to take a side, it's going to be plus the points. Yeah, I'll add to your note about the Washington offense and Daniel Jones' supporting cast with Saquon returning from injury. He will also be doing so on a short week with that quick turnaround Sunday to Thursday. And after he got just 10 carries in week one, I'm curious to see how he looks again on short rest this week and defensively for the Giants. I think that is expected widely to be a strength for the team. And I'm looking for them to rebound after allowing 165 rush yards to Denver. Scott, I know they had a long run they allowed to Gordon. And aside from that, their yards per carry was pretty good. But how do you reconcile the fact that we don't want to, you know, just read too much into a 70-yard run that Melvin Gordon put on them, but at the same time, we can't act like it didn't happen. So we need to give it some degree of weight. Yeah, you give it some weight. I mean, it was a 70-yard run, I believe. You take that out, it was 3.5 yards of rush, which is pretty good. Um, I guess, what, 165 minus 70 is 95 yards. You can't completely discount big plays, um, especially when they're coming from teams who have the capability to generate them, too. Um, but it is a little bit of an outlier that I, I try to look at both and just, you know, um, look, if they gave up the 70 yards and, and then they're still giving up a, a high yards per rush, okay, well, you know, it's not not so impressive then. But um, you take that out, it's you just don't get those runs that often. So especially when a run, pass is a little bit different. You see those a little bit more often. You don't see it in the run so much. So I give them a little bit of a, 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 you know, cut them a little bit of slack there because I think as a whole they played pretty well other than giving up that one run. You know, one last uh, ribbon on the bow here. Uh 36 to 23 time of possession. You know, that's not the, that's not a top caliber defense. Right. And it, it wears you out, right? It's going to yep. take its toll. And, and in that run, I think came fairly late in the game. Uh, I believe I could be wrong in that, but you know, that, that stuff can happen too when you're on the field for that long as well. So it's a good point. Yeah, and when you talk about that time of possession, again, on a short week, that could really get magnified. Uh, not only did the Broncos ground game do some damage, but Teddy Bridgewater seemed to have his way. So similar to the Washington defense, I'm looking to see what kind of rebound we can see out of the Giants defense on Thursday night. Uh, but yeah, after they were on the field for a lot of that game on Sunday, it might be a bit of an uphill battle for them this time around. I think that about wraps it up for our Thursday night preview. And at this point, we'll go ahead and thank you guys all for tuning in to the BetUS NFL show. For those of you joining us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up and subscribe to this channel. And if you have any thoughts or questions, let us know in the comments of this video. If you're listening to us in podcast form, feel free to also reach out to us on Twitter. You can find Chris at Las Vegas Chris. That's C-R-I-S. Scott is at Sixth Sense NFL. 
and I'm at mlandis18. Last but not least, don't forget to use the promo code NFL2021 when signing up at BetUS to claim your 125% sign-up bonus. And that'll just about do it for us today. We'll be back with you live on Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, to break down the full weekend board. And we'll see you then right back here at BetUS, where the game begins.